Father, we thank you for today and for your word this morning on this Mother's Day. God, we pray and we ask that you would be with us as we dive into your word. Uh, it's, it's really good news, this word, God. And so I pray that we would be open to receiving this word, um, that we would have a greater hope after we receive this word, and that you would also help us look even more miraculously and in awe of the resurrection of Christ and what the implications of those uh, of that beautiful event means for our lives today. And so help us, God. Be with us. I pray, O oh God, that you would um, have our hearts be good soil this morning, that it would not be soil with thorns and thickets or uh, shallow soil, but be good soil so that when your word is received, not my words, but your words, that it would produce good fruit that would bless others uh, and ultimately glorify you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So uh, this past week, uh, I want to share again that my body has failed me again. Uh, if you've been with us for a little while, there's many times where I've shared in my sermons that I've had some health issues. Like, they're not extreme health issues, but just really frustrating ones. And this past week, um, I had... Uh, you know, some, some, some foot issues that bothered me. You know, I don't really know if it's because I have three kids or if it's just too much stress or the fact that I, I learned recently that when you hit 30, that it's all downhill from there. I don't know. Like, I've heard a lot of these things, and that, those, it could be all of the above. But this past Thursday, I woke up, and I had a really sharp pain in my right toe, and it was enough to wake me up in the middle of the night. And instantly, I knew what this was because it happened before. Uh, and last time, six months ago, I had a major issue with gout. Now, now gout is like this inflammation in your like ligaments and joints. It really happens more for people who are like 50 plus, and so I don't know why it's happening to me. Um, and I, I knew it was bad because last time it happened, the pain was there for like four weeks. So I started doing everything that day to remedy it, to fix it. Um, but even when I was trying to remedy it, there was a lot of frustration in my mind, in my heart. I was just incredibly angry, like, why this again? I started asking, like, how does this keep happening? Like, why can't my body cooperate? My entire week is already busy enough. Like, this is going to make my week that much more difficult. Luckily, it wasn't too bad, and so it's on the mend, and so I'm able to walk, and it's, it's, it's good now. Um, but out of all the things in life that make me the most frustrated, like my schedule changing, or my lovely but crazy kids, or the difficulty at work, the one thing that frustrates me the most is when my body fails me. How about you? What is the greatest frustration with your body right now? Now, understand that when I enter into this topic, it can be a touchy subject because all of us have something. It could be your health. Perhaps you were sick this week or have had bad allergies coming up or have some general health issues where there's chronic discomfort or pain. It could be maybe how your body looks or is shaped. You wish you looked better, whatever that might mean for you. It could be your bodily limitations. Perhaps you aren't as athletic as you want to be, or you don't have the best memory, or more seriously, you are wrestling with maybe certain mental illness, or infertility, or a disability of some kind. It could also be your age, 
or season of life where decay is beginning to happen. And you are doing everything in your power, your diet, medication, or other means to slow that decay down. Or maybe even today, it could be someone else's body that is close to you, that is failing. And that's causing your own body stress or agony or sadness and more. And even on this Mother's Day, I know that um, even for, for my own mother, there are health challenges. And it's really incredibly hard to see someone you love struggle with their health. All of us have genuine frustrations with our human bodies. Either now or if you are extremely young and God has given you a good health, it will come eventually. Why? Because this is, this is human reality. It's fact. Our bodies are weak. They are limited. They are frail vessels that end up in the grave one day. We all have issues with it. We all get frustrated by it. And we all will inevitably die. And as Benjamin Franklin once famously said, nothing in the world can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Um, I don't know about the taxes thing, but that is pretty sure it's certain. <laughs> so for the Corinthian church here, they would be thinking along the same lines. They knew their bodies were frustrating. And even more in that period of time, they didn't have modern medicine or modern health care. They were very, very influenced by many sicknesses and war that could wipe out entire communities. So when they heard about this idea of this physical bodily resurrection, they questioned it. They asked these questions. And if you look at verse 35 of our text, they said this. They, asked Paul, they were asking Paul this. They were saying, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? In other words, will it be the same body that we have today to die all over again? That's ridiculous. Why would we want to believe in that? So Paul needed to offer some clarification here. And so he does that by directly answering these two questions. And if you look at your handout or your lyric sheet on the back, I have a really simple outline. And it's just the two questions that Paul is asked and that Paul answers in our text. The first question he answers is, how is the resurrected body even possible when our current bodies all decay and die? And the second question he answers is, what will this resurrected body even look like? So let me start with the first one. Let me answer the first one. How is the resurrected body even possible when our current bodies all decay and die? If you look at your text here in verse 36, you see, first of all, Paul is not happy with them. He says, you foolish person. All right, that's pretty, that's pretty brash, but he, he goes in that way. Other translations say, what a foolish question. So, you know, take it either way. But he's asking, he's, he's saying this because most likely Paul has already told them about this truth. But like any good mother or parent or teacher, learning requires repetition. And so Paul goes at, at this again. He says in verse 36, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And he explains it by using this imagery. And so in this text, this imagery of a farmer sowing seeds so that it can grow into a living plant. A seed by itself is lifeless and cannot grow on its own. But when it is put in the ground and in a form dying, and watered and takes time, it transforms into this amazing plant that has life and can produce fruit. So in a similar way, Paul is saying our physical bodies that are prone to decay and die are like this seed. We are all going into the ground. 
But only when it dies can God use that dying to produce new life. And like the seed that transform into a plant, the new life that we receive won't be the same bodies we were given on earth, but something much greater and better than before. You know, Andrew Wilson, a commentator who is writing on this, he writes this. He says that my future body is to my current body what an oak tree is to an acorn. Identifiably the same, the same seed, but greater to an unimaginable decree. An oak tree compared to an acorn. Because of Jesus' resurrection, our resurrected bodies will be different than our physical bodies. And to prove that they are different, if we look at the rest of kind of the first section, verse 39 to 41, Paul talks about how God has created different bodies, our fleshes, our glories. In verse 39 to 41, he says, look at all creation. And you can kind of see a little bit here, but look at all creation, the animals, the birds, the fish, and all the appropriate fleshes that God has given them. And they fit the different environments they live in. Look at the skies even and the glories of the sun, the moon, and the stars. Another word for glory could be splendor. And notice how they differ from one another. In the same way, it should not be a stretch to see that the resurrected body will differ in flesh and in glory to our current physical bodies. Our physical flesh and glory is appropriate here for earth, while our resurrected flesh and glory will be appropriate for the new heavens and new earth that will come one day. And I'll get to more exactly what that looks like to the second question. But what's key to remember about this first part of the passage is that the farmer has no power or understanding of how that seed transforms into a living plant. Likewise, we as humans have no power or understanding of how our physical bodies will transform into our resurrected bodies when Jesus returns. That transformation, that transformation of flesh and glory that God is doing and that God will do is beyond our comprehension. All that we could do is sow dead things. And only God is the one who can transform dead things to new life. Now, um, I, I don't know about you all, but uh, one of the things that I love to do is to learn how things work. I don't know if that's you all. You might not really care about how things work, but I really love to see how things work, especially as we, you know, our, my family, we bought a house recently. And so I like to know about everything. I like to know how things work. Like the other day, there was a, a small leak in the house and it kind of had like a little stain on the ceiling and I had I was like frantically scurrying around trying to figure out what's going on. I looked at everything. I read like a hundred articles online. I got on a step stool. I touched the ceiling. I tried to figure out what exactly was going on because I wanted to know how to fix it. But when the problem arises and I don't know what to do, um, you know, I, I don't tend to ask for help. I just tend to look more online and I just keep scouring the resources online because I believe there are answers online and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work and so that's my own pride getting in the way or perhaps you relate to this a little bit more perhaps for you you love to find the answers to random facts or questions you have online like how many of us have asked google hey google what was the rotten tomato score for the new guardians of the galaxy movie 
or what's the capital of Uganda? Or why are minivans so expensive right now? All questions I asked this week, all right? <laughs> it's crazy. And if you, you ask Google and they'll give you like a hundred responses for that answer. Today we have so much data and information in our world that gone are the days of simply not knowing anything or not knowing the question. Gone are the days where questions are left unanswered. Gone are the days where mystery is more common than certainty. For the Corinthians here, when Paul uses the seed to plant metaphor, a common agricultural process very familiar in their day and age, they would know about it, but they would not exactly know how a seed becomes a plant. They would not know that there's this process called germination that happens in a seed that grows into a plant. But they would be in awe of like, yeah, we don't know. A plant that, that's coming from a seed, it just, God must do it because we have no idea how it works. But when we look at our own lives and our own culture, society, and our day and age, with this flooding of information and knowledge in our day, mystery is something we are very uncomfortable with. Mystery doesn't really settle well with us. Can you live with the fact that sometimes, or maybe, maybe for certain things, that you don't know or cannot know how everything works? Is that settle well with you? Can you still live in faith with Jesus and know that the resurrection power that he has, you don't really know how it's all gonna work when he resurrects our body one day? You know, I, I believe for Paul, and I think it's really important for us, is that in one way he is offering the Corinthians clarity that it is God who transforms our physical bodies to a different resurrected body. But also, I believe he is reminding us today that there is a deep mystery in that transformation that we as humanity simply cannot comprehend at all. We don't know how or the when or the where or the what specifically is happening. But all we do know is that God will do it. And just as how God raised Jesus from the dead, the only answer we can have is our faith, that God will do the same for our bodies too. So the answer to the question, how is the resurrected body even possible when our current bodies all decay and die? The answer is that God already did it before. He can do it again. He can do it again. Now with that in mind, the next question naturally comes up then. So then what will this resurrected body look like? The second question. How, what will this resurrected body look like? Now Paul does not draw a diagram for us here or a picture or exactly details of what it looks like. But he does give us some really helpful categories to think about. And so what Paul does is he gives four couplets that we see in verse 42 and verse 43. And you'll see this here. And he does this by contrasting the physical earthly body that we have versus the resurrected heavenly body that is to come. And what's important is that for each of the four, Paul states that the physical body is sown, right? It's sowed, it's sown. I think that's the past tense of sow. And then while the resurrected body is raised. So already clearly one is sown and one is raised. And the key to that is because we are we see that what is sown, the end goal of it is death, while the other one, the end goal, is resurrection and life. 
And so in verse 42 to 43, let me just go through each of these here, kind of this list. Um, I don't have slides, but it, I'll put this on a slide. But let me just go. Number one, first in verse 42, what is uh, the second section? What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. Now, another way to translate this is that our physical bodies are corruptible, while our resurrected bodies are incorruptible. Our physical bodies have an expiration date. And any disease of the mind, our body can corrupt us. But our resurrected bodies will last for eternity and sin won't even affect us. A concept that we really can't even comprehend right now. Secondly, what is sown in verse 43 is in dishonor and what is raised is in glory. In other words, the physical body that we now have, it's infected with sin. It's infected with shame with brokenness, a virus that has no cure. You know, if you remember Genesis uh, 3, we, you can picture Adam and Eve rushing to cover their bodies from their nakedness with fig leaves. That shame, that same shame runs through us all right now. But our resurrected bodies will be without that virus or that shame. There will be splendor and beauty in us where we will never, ever feel shame again. Will be beautiful, will be sin free and glorious. Can you just begin to picture that? Number three, as we continue on in verse 43, what is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. Again, this gets at the reality that our physical bodies are frail, that our bones will break, that our organs will fail, that our life will end. But our resurrected bodies will have. Power. That's the Greek word dynamos, where we get the word dynamite from. This power is greater than we can ever imagine. It's greater than any superhero movie we can think about. It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. That power in our resurrected bodies will be in you. Isn't that crazy to think about? Lastly, number four in verse 44, it says, It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now, it's not trying to... Paul's not trying to be dualistic here where he's trying to say that some of us are going to, like all of us are going to be like these spiritual ghosts floating around in heaven. That's not what Paul's talking about at all. What Paul uses the word natural, he is addressing that human nature is in direct contrast to the work of the Spirit. He does this in Galatians 5, the famous fruit of the Spirit chapter, when he talks about the acts of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. Human nature, our human flesh, is one of, as Paul writes, selfishness, greed, pride, lust, jealousy, rage, envy, idolatry, and much, much more. But the spiritual nature that the Spirit brings is one of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Can you picture yourself not battling your internal desires of the flesh, but everything you think, say, and do is in the way of love, joy, peace, patience, and on and on? Can, can you imagine that, that your life would not have any one of these destructive desires, but ones that only are out of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and on it goes? Can you picture that? and marvel at that for a little bit? I mean, how would the world look if that was the case? Doesn't this picture of our resurrected bodies give you 
some hope, a deep sense of hope that our bodies won't be the same anymore? You know, I don't know about you, but the fact that Jesus promises that every person who believes in him will one day have a fully resurrected body that is imperishable, glorious, powerful, and spirit-filled is amazing news. Imagine the hope this would bring to those who are in hospital beds right now. The ones who are living with chronic illnesses like cancer with death so close to them. Imagine the freedom this would bring to those who are constantly battling addiction and sin every waking moment of their lives. Imagine the comfort this would bring to those who feel such shame about their bodies, such about their disabilities, about their traumas, or even about their anxieties or mental illnesses. Imagine the strength this will bring to the many in our world who are weary and tired and downtrodden by life and work. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just the message of salvation and eternal life for those who believe it, but it is also the message that when Jesus returns again, your resurrected bodies will be perfect. Jesus did not just come to save your soul. He came to show us and reestablish what it truly means to be fully human one day. And in the last parts of the text here from verses 45 to 49 or so, what Paul does is that he links back to the first human, the first head, if you want to call it, the federal head, which is Adam. That Adam is from the very dust of the earth. And to dust when he came up, to dust he shall return. And for his life, it brought sin and death. And we are just like him. But the second Adam, as Paul writes, we became or we can become what God originally intended us to be. This second Adam, which is Jesus Christ, would bring a life-giving spirit so that if we believe in him, the identity and power that raised him from the grave is also, will be, in us. And when he returns, our resurrected body will be the same body that Jesus had when he walked out of that grave. Fully human the perfect image of God as intended in Genesis when God created man and woman with no death or sin. That's what we're going back to. And church, this is so important here. We cannot miss this fact about the resurrection. You know, so often, I don't know of like what church background you grew up in or if you're newer to the church, but I think for a lot of us, we grew up with this image where we think of heaven as this place where like, golden streets and like a golden gate and like a bunch of white clouds and maybe some nice angels like floating around a throne you know i know for me growing up i grew up with this image of like a bunch of people who are in heaven singing and playing harps together with angels forever and ever and ever and ever and i don't know about you all but i don't even like the harp like i i mean like this sounded kind of like torture to me but, you know, if you have to pick between a fiery pit of hell versus playing harps all your life long in eternity, you know, I, I picked the harp, right? I would pick the harp. But my guess is that for a lot of us, that's probably the imagery that we have about heaven. And it's quite limited. Why? Because I believe that we often forget that God isn't just bringing us up to heaven, but that God is bringing down a new heaven. And new earth. Some of you might have heard the phrase, which it's a good phrase, but 
can be kind of overused or maybe even abused. It's the phrase, just preach the gospel, or the only thing that matters is the soul. We must convert people and get them to heaven. Whatever happens on earth to their body, doesn't, our society doesn't really matter. Now, let me just say, that is partially true. That is not holistically true. Does the gospel need to be preached and souls saved? A hundred percent, amen. Evangelism is important. Conversion is important. We want people to know God and be saved. But does that mean we didn't neglect everything here on earth and let it rot away until we get to heaven? No, it does not. If we look at the life of Jesus, for instance, if we just look at his life, we know even in Jesus' life, fully God, before he resurrected, he came onto earth incarnate in a physical body. And then when he was on earth, he ministered to others. And, and remember this, he touched people. The poor, the leper, the stranger, the demonic uh, possessed. He broke bread at table with his disciples. He welcomed young children into his arms. And then even after Jesus resurrected in his new resurrected body, as we read in previous section in 1 Corinthians 15, he appeared to 500 witnesses. And he didn't just appear like some spiritual ghost floating around. No, he appeared physically. When he met Mary in the garden, she didn't recognize him at first, but as soon as he spoke, she held him, she hugged him, and she knew who he was. We know that he also walked with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and then he miraculously vanished before their sight. I don't know, maybe we can all teleport when we are resurrected. I have no idea. We also know that his scars and pierced hands remained on his body, so much so that when he told Thomas, look at my scars, touch my side, see that I am the one who was crucified. We know that he also cooked breakfast on the beach to feed his friends. I'm mentioning all these examples because I don't want you to miss that the entire, I don't want you to miss that Jesus deeply cares about our physical bodies. He deeply cares about them. He cares about them so much because he doesn't just want you as a, he doesn't just see you as a soul or a spirit. He sees the whole you. He sees every part of you, your mind, your body, your spirit, your soul, your personality, your giftings, your story, and everything in between. He sees you as beautiful. But he also knows that you're broken, that you're marred with sin, and that sin is decaying you and breaking you down. And so when he came on the cross to defeat sin and death and resurrect into a physical new body, he, can, he came to do that because he wanted us to experience the same thing. He wanted us to be what we originally were meant to be, beautiful and glorious in our physical bodies with no pain or sickness or sin or evil or death in sight. And as verse 49 concludes our section, Paul writes, he says, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, which is Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus. As we begin to kind of wrap up, I want you to know that Jesus' goal is for us to be like him in his image, to be like Christ, not just in the way that we act or live out our lives, but even in the way that he came and conquered that grave, in that new body, that heavenly resurrected body. Jesus wants to give each one of us that hope 
and that fulfillment one day. You know, as I begin to wrap up, uh, I want to send you off with just one practical application or one tangible way to kind of live this out. Uh, because I know that this new resurrected body Christ promises is not here yet, right? Like none of us have it right now. We don't know what it even looks like entirely. But we have faith and we hope that when Christ return, we can have these resurrected bodies. And we don't know exactly when. We don't know when Christ is going to come. It could be tomorrow. It could be 100 years from now. We have no idea. But the word, as I was thinking about this uh, sermon, about this passage, and even as I had an opportunity to take uh, like a silence and solitude retreat this past Friday, uh, the word that keeps coming to mind for me on how to apply this is this word surrender. It's this word surrender. Um, every, you know, if you look at the entirety of the passage, every verb or description that Paul uses about this whole resurrected body life. Um, notice that it's always in the passive tense. It's always in the passive tense. It's something that's being done unto you. It's not something that you are doing yourself, that you are being raised. You are being raised imperishable, powerful, and et cetera, et cetera, and on it goes. But the only active verb that he uses in this passage is our responsibility to sow, to sow, and to sow quite literally to our death. This actually kind of reminds me of what Jesus said in Luke 9, 23 to 24. Some of you know this, but let me read this to you again. And Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. The call of Christ is to surrender all our lives to him so that God can do what he does best, breathe new life where there is death. God cannot raise to life those things that do not wish to surrender their lives. God can't do that. God can't force you to be resurrected. God cannot raise to life those who believe they don't need resurrection. So the question that I have for you as we apply this passage, as we go on with our lives, our family, have a wonderful Mother's Day brunch, or go throughout our work weeks, what do you need to surrender in order for Christ to resurrect new life in you today, or maybe tomorrow, or in the end? What do you need to surrender in order for Christ to resurrect new life in you today, and also resurrect new life when he returns again is it your agendas your dreams your finances your career your family your relationships your own beliefs or pride and probably a lot of other things that can go in that category god wants to breathe new life you have to let him do it and that requires surrender you know, church, at this time, we are going to uh, take communion. Uh, and this is going to be actually kind of the implication or the practical way of taking upon this practice of surrendering. Um, communion is the practice of the church where we are to remember and to celebrate together. We remember what Christ has done for us, his physical body broken and blood spilled out for our sins. We celebrate that we have new life in Christ and that our physical bodies... Um, are going to be redeemed and fully transformed to be like when Christ returns again. 
And so as we move to the table, uh, as I mentioned, what I want to do before I, you know, pair the elements, what I want us to do is to reflect a little bit about that question. What do I need to surrender? What do I need to surrender? And spend some time meditating on it. Because at this table, and I will um, break it for us uh, soon, at this table is when Jesus surrendered everything for us. His life, his hope, I mean, his, even his seat on the throne, he gave up everything so that we would have new life again. And so then the question comes to us when we come to receive the very body that was broken for us and the blood that was poured out for us, not that we surrender with obligation, but that we surrender with great joy, knowing that Christ has given it all for us and he wants to give us that hope, that future resurrected body one day. And so as we take some moment, as we take a moment, so I'm going to prepare the elements, I will pray, um, then we will uh, take the moments, uh, take the elements together. But before you kind of just rush to the table, I would love for you to just spend like a moment, a minute praying reflecting and then whenever God has prepared you to come up then you can take a piece of bread uh, dip it into the cup uh, and uh, it would just be here it'd be you know no one's gonna administer it to you but you can take it as you will and so let me pray and then I'll prepare the elements and then welcome us to the table let's pray father we are coming here before you today um, yeah with such gratitude that you care so much about us that you care actually about every single ailment frustration decay and hurt that happens in our body you care about that because you want to establish our physical resurrected bodies one day that your resurrection that even your sacrifice here at this table is a picture of how much you love us how much you care not just about a part of us our part of our lives but our whole entire lives even down to the very hair on our heads and so father we come before you on this day humble that you would even be mindful of men and women like us humble that you would welcome us to this table that we had no access to but through your death and resurrection we can come and take part and worship the one who gives us ultimate and eternal hope. And so, Father God, I pray as we reflect a little bit now, as we think about what to surrender, I pray, O oh God, that you would give us insight onto what that is, that your spirit would give us insight on where we need to surrender more of our lives so that we would find new resurrection hope again and again. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. In scripture,